my most loving pranams at Bhagwan's Lotus Feet. Dear listeners, I welcome you to this week's episode of the Gita series, A Triune Pilgrimage. This is Prem, your friend from Team Radio Sai, and I have the pleasure of coming to you live from our new studio set up, the broadcast studio at the Shri Satya Sai Media Center, as it is going to be called henceforth. But we are coming from our brand new broadcast studio and uh, we owe our immense gratitude to Swami for giving us beautiful facilities through which we can connect with each one of you week after week and of course all through the week through the various programs that you listen to on Radio Sai. But more than merely the opportunity to connect with each other, to spend time in satsang, I think the most important thing is Swami is allowing us to spend time thinking about Swami's message, contemplating on it and hopefully having that reflect in our everyday life. I think that is part of our prayer to Swami, that it happens. Coming to this program, the Gita series, this is a program where we go through the Gita verses in as much detail as possible. We are in the sixth chapter. The chapter primarily is about meditation and meditation when we say it involves the mind. So a good part of this chapter is also about how do you go about controlling and marshalling the mind, which is an enormous tool that has been gifted to mankind? We are towards the second half or the ending part of the sixth chapter. As always, we'll begin with a short summary of what we covered last time. We covered only two shlokas, 35 and 36, but they are very important shlokas where Krishna clears a doubt that Arjuna raises after silently listening to Krishna's discourse for an extended period of time. As we know, Krishna has been speaking about dhyana and how when the mind is made to dwell on the Atma, the Supreme Shanti is attained and how the Sadhaka attains an equal vision, right? That was one of the important things that uh, Krishna had mentioned. The equal vision where one sees the Atma in all or one begins to see the Lord that one worships in every entity and sees this entire creation as being contained in that Lord. But Arjuna says that it doesn't seem like a possibility to me given how fickle the mind is. He says it seems impossible to control the mind. It is as difficult as controlling the wind itself. So Shlokas 35 and 36 are Krishna's reply to that question or reply to that concern that Arjuna races in this chapter. Especially verse number 35 is a very important one. As I said, this is again one of those shlokas 
that we have heard Swami quoting many, many times through His discourses. And luckily for us, since Swami quotes it so many times, we can go back to Swami's discourses and try to understand the essence of what Swami says in this particular shloka. The first thing that Krishna says in reply in the 35th verse is, Asamshayam Mahabahu Mano Durnigraham Chalam Undoubtedly, Arjuna, it is indeed very difficult to control this fickle mind. So there is the first hint that Krishna drops to all of us. We must first and foremost acknowledge that it is not an easy task. Spirituality itself is one of the greatest adventures and when we acknowledge that, when we acknowledge that this is not a rosy path, this is indeed a great adventure, then we will be more prepared to take on the challenge and more importantly put in the necessary effort, put in the necessary sadhana. In the next line of the shloka, Krishna says that even though the mind is difficult to control through abhyasa and vairagya, it can be controlled. Then from Swami's discourses, we gleaned and understood what these two words actually stand for. To quickly refresh our memory, Swami had said that abhyasa is nothing but tapas or penance. And when we talk about tapas, Swami says, that there are three types of penance that we must embark on. Sharirika, relating to the body, Vachika, relating to the speech, and Manasika, relating to the mind. And when we look at what each one of these stand for, it is nothing but the many, the entire gamut of disciplines that Swami speaks of, which are necessary for a spiritual life. From dharmic living, good companies, speaking the truth, speaking lovingly, cultivating good thoughts, not having any harmful feelings or intentions towards everybody. So whatever Swami speaks of as see good, be good, do good, whatever Swami speaks of as the very important disciplines with regard to speech, all of that is covered in these three types of tapas which Swami says represent this abhyasa that Krishna is speaking about. Coming to Vairagya, the next discipline that Swami speaks about, Swami says that Vairagya is constantly reminding the mind of the fleeting nature of all things in the objective world, be it wealth, be it pleasure, be it relationships, be it authority, whatever they are, they are, as we saw, subject to the, the Shadvikaras, the six types of changes, the six types of decay. So none of these are eternal and to constantly remind ourselves about the fleeting nature of whatever we are interacting with is itself vairagya. As some people put it, vairagya is to be able to see things as they are. It is not that a sweet does not give pleasure. It does not mean that a comfortable chair or a comfortable bed does not give pleasure. But to be able to see them for what they are worth and not extend their utility or their relevance in our life more than what it necessarily needs to be. So Vairagya can also be looked at as the ability or to remind oneself to constantly see things as they are and not to stretch their importance in our life. But speaking about Vairagya, Swami said, through the course of life we will experience many situations where we do 
experience vairagya and we do experience this kind of a detachment towards the world and swami spoke of the different kinds of vairagya prasuti vairagya smashan vairagya where when we are a witness to the ephemeral nature of things it suddenly strikes us that we are running after things that will eventually be taken away from us but the problem is if we contemplate only on that nature of vairagya swami says that if you develop vairagya towards one thing and that is denied you will develop attachment towards something else so even as we are contemplating on the ephemeral nature of the world swami made it very clear that the mind should also be trained to contemplate on the absolute or contemplate on the absolute nature of god so that is one thing that swami said about vairagya that vairagya is not only contemplating on the ephemeral nature but also contemplating on the eternal nature of god in the 36th verse krishna more or less summarizes his answer by saying again to go back to arjuna's question he says this yoga of seeing everything as same seems to be very difficult for me so krishna says in the 36th verse that yes yoga is difficult but it is difficult for the one who has not controlled the mind but for someone who has controlled the mind krishna says in my opinion it is possible so this is one of the shlokas where again krishna speaks like a normal human being he says in my opinion now te sumlo as swami would beautifully say so this is one of the shlokas where krishna says that in my opinion it is possible and that is the 36th verse so krishna is making it very clear that yes that samadrishti that we have been talking about that equal vision seeing everything as the atma is the ultimate yoga but to attain that you need to discipline your mind through abhyasa and vairagya so if it is impossible if it cannot be attained we can be sure that krishna is not going to be talking about it at all the very fact that it can be attained is why krishna is giving this entire discourse so those were the two verses that we went through as i said very important verse verse number 35 abhyasa and vairagya very critical qualities that have to be developed and that tenacity that this is a difficult path and this requires my commitment and i'm prepared for it right so those were the points that we covered last time Arjuna is not done with his doubts he is going to ask another very important doubt in this uh, next verse that we are going to listen to it's a verse which is very important the verse itself is not very important the doubt that he is asking is important and it's important because it elicits a beautiful and even more profound answer from lord krishna but before we come to all of that we'll listen to verse number 37 clearly rendered in the voice of brother sham after that i'll give you a very brief meaning and then we'll discuss in detail what is this question that arjuna is raising arjuna uvacha ayate shraddha yo peto yoga chalita manasaha aprapya yoga samsiddhim Arjuna said, "He who is unable to control himself, 
though he has the faith and whose mind wanders away from yoga what end does he meet o krishna having failed to attain perfection in yoga so that is the question that arjuna is asking the 37th verse of the 6th chapter in the discussion of the previous few shlokas we've been saying how first and foremost we must acknowledge that this is a difficult path why is it a difficult path krishna said it so sweetly he said you know the path itself is not very complicated but one who has controlled the mind for him this path is very simple but the only thing is the act of controlling the mind which is a prerequisite for this path is very difficult so path itself is not difficult but what is required to take to this path is a little complicated which is controlling the mind then as arjuna said as difficult as controlling the wind itself and krishna agreed to that description that arjuna gave so there are two things when we say that this path is so difficult it means that the risk factor is very high it needs a lot of effort but it also means that not all who take to it are likely to succeed it's like climbing say the mount everest it calls for a lot of struggles but even after all those struggling you cannot be so sure that you will succeed right so that is one of the things that arjuna is raising the second point is this path calls for very focused effort it calls for enormous commitment and sacrifice what happens to all this sacrifice if i happen to fail i've given up the pleasures and positions of the world i've given up all my desires and i embark on this spiritual journey and what if i fail will i lose both the worlds so that is the question that arjuna is asking in this particular shloka he says ayatihi the one who is not successful in controlling oneself or one who does not have adequate control over the mind so this word ayatihi it is opposite of yati and the derived words that krishna has been using yatachittatma or yatatma so yati or yatachittatma is one who has controlled the mind arjuna asks about a person who is an ayati one who has failed in this attempt to gain control the way krishna has been describing so arjuna says shraddhaya upetaha possessing faith he may be an ayatihi but he has faith faith in the yogic path in this spiritual quest that krishna is explaining you cannot give few years of your life to a cause if you don't believe in it a lot of people take part in movements like say socialism or environmentalism if you do not have faith in them you will not be able to participate in them you will not be able to give your time and energy similarly arjuna is asking about someone who has faith shraddhaya upetah who has the faith in the spiritual path but has fallen short yogat chalita manasah one whose mind wanders away from yoga krishna has been explaining about meditation and he had said uh, 
that the mind by nature will always keep wandering away you must keep bringing it back again he spoke of how it should be steady like a flame he spoke of a concentration such concentration that dissolves all forms and names so what happens when i am not able to focus in that manner so this is a very important question for all of us right because i think we all have this fear of failure at least i can speak about myself however much we are told that we must be positive we must be self confident somewhere in the back of the mind we have this fear of failure so arjuna asks what happens when yogat chalita manasaha when the mind wanders away from yoga aprapya yoga samsiddham not having attained perfection in yoga yoga samsiddham kam gatim gachati krishna what end does such a person reach o krishna generally in school you will always find that the weakest student or the students or the backbenchers they will be the first one to ask these kind of questions what will happen if i fail in one subject or is it okay if i fail in two subjects will i still get promoted will i have to write a supplementary exam or will i have to repeat the whole year right usually that will show their confidence level but we are talking about arjuna arjuna is not an ordinary person he is one of supreme confidence and he is very very self assured but this is something that even he is not confident about as i have been saying there is a certain self control and purity that is required to undertake this path of yoga but before that there is this resolve that one takes and that resolve is based on this faith that this is the right thing to do this will lead me to the goal right what if i have the sense and faith i also make the resolve that i'm going to follow this path i also have a certain amount of uh, self control but then i fail that is the question or that is the worry that arjuna is reflecting on all our behalf there's one more thing that has to be kept in mind here the undercurrent of these conversations and also the context and the hidden doubt that is in arjuna's mind all through these exchanges and what is that arjuna is still debating whether to act or not he is still evaluating his options between sanyasa and karma yoga right as we have said many many times during the course of the gita arjuna is going to keep bringing this question sometimes obviously as we've seen in the past sometimes in a subtle manner and i think this is one of those points where he's subtly debating in his mind and that internal debate is expressing itself as some of these questions so he is still evaluating this option between becoming a sanyasi renouncing everything and going away and as krishna is trying to teach him to become a karma yogi where he continues to perform his duties but in an enlightened fashion and krishna is teaching him as i said an enlightened way of doing those same duties and karmas so that he doesn't get bound but for that karma yoga krishna has placed so many criteria and all of that seems to be so difficult right that's what uh, arjuna said 
mean, I can understand that you have to see everybody as equal, but I can't see myself being firmly fixed in that vision or in that ability to see everything as being part of God. So Arjuna is wondering, if I take to Karma Yoga, as Krishna is suggesting, and end up acting with incomplete control over the mind, or say my mind wanders away later after I take to this path, and then it starts developing an attachment to the fruits of action. I mean, uh, when I'm performing the actions, I'm totally dedicated to God, I'm not attached to the fruits. But what happens if the mind wanders away later and I start developing attachment to the fruits of the actions that I've performed? And I become egoistic of my achievements, I, you know, my head becomes heavy. What happens then? So possibly Arjuna is in his mind still debating between Karma Yoga and Sankhya Yoga or Sannyasa. Krishna made it very clear that the gains in both are the same. Krishna had said in the beginning of the fifth chapter, Yata Sankhyaihi Prapyate, Sthanam Tata Yogaihi Api Gampyate. The state or sthana that is reached by Sankhyas, that is reached or attained by the yogis as well. So he's saying that the gain is the same, whether you take to Sankhya Yoga or whether you take to Karma Yoga. But of course, we have discussed about how Krishna said that, still he said that Karma Yoga is a little better. But nevertheless, he says the gain that one will have taking to either of these paths is going to be the same. But what about the impact of failure? The gains are the same, but if I fail in this path, is it better to fail in sannyasa or is it better to fail in karma yoga? Is it more dangerous if I fail as a karma yogi or is it more dangerous if I fail as a sannyasi? Of course, Arjuna is not asking it in that comparative sense, he's not wording it that way, but I feel that probably this is still working in his mind because still he feels that giving up everything and running away to the forest seems to be easy. Right? So that is one of the reasons maybe Arjuna is asking this question. To the logical mind, always giving up everything seems easier. Right? That's a simple solution. You have a problem, move away from the problem. If you have a difficult person you have to deal with, and then you let go of everything and you move away. That always seems to be the right option for us. Right? So that is there in the back of Arjuna's mind as uh, we can see. So he continues this question that he has raised even in the next shloka. We listen to the next shloka, the 38th shloka. I'll give you a brief meaning and then we will discuss as to what Arjuna is asking in that particular shloka. Kachinno bhaya vibhrashtaha Chinna bhramiva nashyati Apratishtho Mahabaho Vimudho Brahmanapati Deluded in the path of Brahman is one who has fallen from both supportless, not destroyed, O mighty armed, like a cloudlet torn asunder. That's the 38th verse of the 6th chapter. In this shloka, Arjuna asks the same question but more or less by expressing his own opinion. He asks, does that person not get destroyed? So as I was telling in the previous uh, verse, the discussion, 
more or less arjuna feels that this is still a little more complicated process than simply giving away everything and going off to the forest so that's why he is already of the opinion that this path is dangerous because one who fails in this path gets destroyed so that's why in this shloka he says kachit na nashyati is he not destroyed chinna bhram eva like a small lonely cloud that is torn asunder so arjuna feels a person who detaches from the world loses the support of the world the friends the family the relatives and who fails to control the mind and become a yati he or she loses the glory of the spiritual path as well and loses the support that one gets in the world as well right and that's why he says ubhaya vibhrashtaha who has fallen from both apratishtaha having lost support he's like a lonely cloud arjuna says if the cloud is part of a bigger cloud that covers the entire sky then when the wind blows it cannot do much right it probably might just push the whole cloud you know a small distance ahead but if it is the case of a small cloud that is detached from the bigger one it will just be scattered into nothingness when the wind blows is that not the case of a person who is a ayati the ayati that arjuna describes in this shloka in the previous shloka he describes him here as vimudho bhramanapathi one who is deluded in this path to brahman a man who has attained worldly success everyone will celebrate such a person a great yogi he will also be celebrated as being a great soul but the one who has given up going after worldly success and has also failed in the spiritual path hasn't he lost both he will be looked up as a loser isn't it one of our very senior faculty who has been serving swami for many many years uh, had to endure a certain disaster in his life a very dear one was lost nothing extraordinary about that i think everybody undergoes that sometime or the other this person did not expect it in a, in a very unexpected fashion he lost a very dear person in his family but uh, when that event happened he was completely in shatters he didn't know he lost his balance he was not able to get a grip of himself he was overcome with grief so in that when he was talking to some of his uh, students and colleagues he was telling them i don't know what has happened to me see i chose to come and stay with swami i wanted to serve swami in his university he came in the prime of his youth and uh, he had to do that by giving up a lucrative career because we know that in some of the fields in science and in education to be in the right place at the right time becomes very important if so if you're in the right university which is doing a lot of research or if in the if you're in the right field under the right uh, guidance of the right professors the way you'll blossom will be completely different so this person had made a conscious choice to give up all of that and so he gave up a lucrative growth and career and then he came and settled in swami's university for many many years he taught in swami's university so he said i gave up a career in this choice that i have made but now in the wake of this disaster i am so disturbed i am so out of balance i feel like i have not gained anything spiritually as well so i have lost growth in my career i have also lost 
I mean, I I don't seem to have gained anything in this spiritual path. Needless to say, he was in that frame of mind for a very brief time. Of course, you know, that's what we're going to discuss about. That no amount of commitment that is given to the spiritual path or dedicated to Swami or God will ever go waste. But for a brief time, I'm just talking about the mental state that one goes through when they find that uh, they've not gained as much spiritually as they would have liked to when they have taken to the spiritual path. So we all have that fear, right? I think anybody who has taken to the path will somewhere have that, if not an expressed fear, it'll somewhere be like a, a you know a small gnawing in the back of your mind. So Arjuna is also wondering the same, and he is asking this question to Krishna specifically. He is not asking this to anybody. He is not randomly throwing up this question. He is specifically asking this to Krishna. And that we will discuss after listening to the next shloka because there Arjuna doesn't explain but he says that he specifically wants to know the answer from none other than Krishna himself. So we listen to the 39th verse of the 6th chapter and then we will discuss about that. Etan me samshayam Krishna O Krishna, you should totally eradicate this doubt of mine, for none other than yourself can be the dispeller of this doubt. So that is the 39th verse of the 6th chapter. Arjuna knows that this journey isn't something that one undertakes only in a lifetime or it is not confined to a lifetime that begins with birth and ends with death. Krishna had told right in the beginning of the Gita, if you die in the battlefield, you will attain heaven. I think that understanding was always there in those times that if you are a Kshatriya and you happen to die in the process of dispensing your duty in the battlefield, then there is a special place that is reserved for these people, valorous people who die dispensing their duty. But what happens to the person who strives only for the ultimate? You are supposed to give up even the desire for heaven, right? That's one of the points that uh, we discussed, I think, in the second or third chapter. So you're supposed to have your mind focus only on the ultimate that is achieved in this striving, not even on heaven, then what happens after this life? And this, Arjuna now knows that no one else can answer. If you were to ask me this question, if you were to ask me this question, that what will happen, you know, I've 30 years I've done bhajans, 40 years I've done seva, and I don't seem to have gained anything, what will happen? I'll probably give you an answer based on what is Krishna going to say now or what Swami has said elsewhere, whatever I've read. But the answer that I'm going to be giving you is only a bookish answer, right? Based on what I've read or what I've heard from others. But Arjuna is not interested in a bookish answer, not a theoretical answer. He wants a true explanation. He wants an explanation that comes from a seat of authority and who better than Krishna 
to give such an answer. Krishna had said in the beginning of the fourth chapter that he had given this knowledge of Karma Yoga to Vivaswan, the sun god. So he alone will know the answer to this particular question that Arjuna is asking because the question that Arjuna is asking is a question that spans over many lifetimes. Only somebody who is able to have a vision that is not constricted by death, is not refreshed by birth, will be able to answer this question that Arjuna is asking with absolute authority. right? And why is Krishna more qualified for that? As Krishna had said, that both Arjuna and Krishna have been coming in multiple bodies through many, many lifetimes. But Krishna had made it very clear that, O Arjuna, you do not remember all those lifetimes, but I remember them. So certainly Krishna will know what happens to a karma yogi if he happens to fail. What happens when he has strived all his lifetime, but he has not got that ayati, right? He has become an ayati. He has not garnered that adequate control over the mind in this lifetime. After all, controlling the mind is not such a simple thing that it can be achieved in a few years or it's not like an MBA or a PhD degree that you can sign up and you can hope to finish in two years, three years, five years. You never know. It could take many, many lifetimes. So that is what is Arjuna's concern and so he tells Krishna, Yetat me samshayam Krishna This doubt of mine, samshayam, this doubt of mine, O Krishna, Chetum arhasi, you ought to dispel it, asheshataha, completely. So he says, O Krishna, this doubt of mine, etat me samshayam, Krishna, you should remove it completely. In fact, the word he uses is chetum, which means you should completely destroy it for me. Asheshataha, completely. Why is he asking Krishna, as we just saw, other than you, asya samshayasya cheta, a remover of this doubt, nahi upapadyate. Certainly, there is none. So, Arjuna is asking a very important question. Though many of us may intuitively know the answer, it is very important to hear this answer from Krishna himself. To probably give you a hint, in the discussion that we had about Karma Yoga, I think uh, in the second chapter, Krishna had said, Na iha abhikramanasha asti. There is no wastage of effort in this path of Karma Yoga. So, what happens to that effort that doesn't result in the ultimate? As a few commentators say, this is one more point where probably the Gita could have concluded if Arjuna had not raised this question. Because Krishna talked about Sankhya Yoga, the nature of the soul, that was in the second chapter. Then he talked about Karma Yoga, then he talked about how he was the one who was the originator of this Veda, he passed it on and all of that. And finally he also spoke about Dhyana. Dhyana is the tool that is required to lead a life of Karma Yoga. right? So, Clearly, Krishna could have wound up the Gita and we could have started the battle of Mahabharata like most of us do when we see the serial. We are waiting for the fight to begin, right? So we probably would have had the fight beginning at this portion if 
Arjuna had not raised this doubt. So many commentators feel that this is again one more portion where Arjuna's question extends this dialogue between Krishna and Arjuna because now Arjuna is asking about the secrets of life and afterlife. So let us first listen to Krishna's reply in the next shloka. Of course, this is only the first shloka where Krishna begins to explain this particular doubt that Arjuna is raising. There are going to be a few other shlokas, but I think we will take only one shloka this week and the rest will continue as we progress in this chapter. So we listen to the next shloka, shloka number 40, where Krishna begins to give his explanation or his answer to this question that Arjuna has raised. श्री भगवानुवाच पार्थ नैवेह नामुत्र विनाशस्तस्य विद्यते नहीं कल्याण कृत कष्टिद दुर्गतिम्तात गच्छती The Blessed Lord said, O Partha, there is certainly no ruin for him here or hereafter. For no one engaged in good meets with a deplorable end, my son. That is the 40th verse and that's the simple direct answer from Lord Krishna. So Krishna's answer is very clear. He says, Partha, O Partha, O Arjuna, Na eva iha. Verily not here, na amutra, not in the next world, vinashaha tasya vidyate, there is destruction for him or her. So in one sentence, Krishna makes it very clear that there is no question of there being a ruin or a decline or a failure or a bad turn of events for such a person, not in this lifetime not in any lifetime hereafter. Why is that so? When we talk about Karma Yoga, as we have discussed many times before, Karma Yoga is something that comes only after you are able to perform good karma. Doing bad karma, harming others, cheating others, I can't offer it to God and say, ah, now I'm a Karma Yogi, right? You made it very, very clear that the prerequisite for Karma Yoga is that you will have to perform good actions. The necessary condition that is required for us to take to the path of yoga is to lead a dharmic life, is to lead a righteous life. And how can one not benefit from good karmas that one has performed, right? That's the most important question and that's what is the basis of Krishna's answer here. That when you have to take to good karma and then only become a karma yogi, how can you not benefit from the good karmas that you have performed? When one performs good karmas and for whatever reason fails to sublimate the ego and doership, he will certainly get the benefit of the good karma that he has performed. Even if the ultimate goal of karma yoga is not reached, the benefit that comes from those karmas will definitely come to him or her. So how can one ever be a loser having taken to this path? Yes, one may 
not get to the intended benefit but there can be no downfall as arjuna had feared as arjuna had clearly said won't he perish so krishna is saying that definitely that will not be the case that's why krishna says in the next line he says kalyanakrit kaschit nahi durgatim gachati verily no person who is a kalyanakrit gets ruined what is this kalyanakrit a doer of auspicious things all sadhana is auspicious and any sadhaka who takes up to the path of yoga the path of spirituality is a kalyanakrit a doer of auspicious actions especially when one's intentions is to reach the ultimate goal even mundane actions become acts of worship isn't it that's what we've been seeing to the world when they look at you you'll be trying to care for your children but that caring for your children has now become part of your offering to god so a father's action becomes auspicious a mother's action becomes auspicious a mother who's cooking for the family if she is feeling that this act is an offering to god that i am doing that simple act of cooking becomes a act of worship so all acts whatever it may be it may be a student studying it may be a businessman it may be a shopkeeper running his business when he or she looks at these simple acts as being acts of worship which is what is all karma yoga is about then simple acts become acts of worship and all worship is auspicious so such a person is a kalyanakrita is a doer of auspicious things so a person who is a kalyanakrita will definitely benefit from each and every one of these acts some would give a beautiful analogy of of course he gives in a different context but i'm going to extend that and uh, discuss what we are talking about here what happens when you do all work as god's work right for that swami gives this analogy and uh, it explains what krishna is saying here to a certain extent and that's why i want to use it here swami had said if you do good actions expecting rewards for the actions that you're doing you are like probably the daily wages worker or the part time worker you seek remuneration for the actions that you are performing right so you do something you are hoping to be rewarded for that you're doing something good you're helping someone you're going out of your way and doing something noble you are looking for some remuneration so you become like a daily wages worker you do a work you have to be paid for it every day you are paid for what you're doing right but swami said imagine that you are the son or daughter in the house and say some guest are in your house and they have say spilled some food or they've spilled some coffee down by mistake being the child in the house what will you do you'll quickly run into the kitchen you'll bring a cloth and you'll clean up the mess right after having done that you will not go to your mother or father and say you know what i clean this mess today and pay me 5 rupees or 10 bucks well if children of today are doing that let's make it very clear that in our times it was not the case if something had to be done in the house you had to do it you had to take the responsibility and you have to do it right so that's how we would do you will not clean up and then say that this has to be paid for because you do it with a sense of belonging you say this is my house i have to keep it clean i have to do it so that sense of belonging is what swami would say is the feature of actions being done as 
an offering to God. So Swami would say, if you seek rewards for every act, then definitely God will reward you. It's not that God is being unfair or God will hold back your rewards. If you've done good, you will get the good. So God is fair and He will reward you for the actions that you have performed. But when you perform acts with a sense of belonging, saying that this is Swami's work and I am doing Swami's work, then you will not be paid every now and then because you are not a daily wages worker. But Swami says, but when you are doing like that, when you are doing with the feeling that this is my house and I am a child of Swami and you are doing, Swami says, the mother or father will not pay you every day, but then you inherit the property of those parents. Whatever belongs to those parents belong to you. Swami says in a similar way, you will not be paid now and then by Swami, but you will inherit whatever belongs to Him. And what is it? You will inherit Amritattvam. You will inherit that immortality itself. So that is the greatest benefit of Karma Yoga. But then if we happen to fail to attain that attitude because of some weakness in the mind, because of worldly distractions, then you will still be rewarded for whatever good has been done in the process. right? So that is one of the points that Krishna is making very clear that here and hereafter there is no loss for such a person. The other point is based on something that we discussed when we were going through that statement that uh, from the second chapter that I just quoted in, before I played this shloka where Krishna says, Na iha abhikramanasha asti There is no wastage of karma here. And why is that so? We had discussed it then. If I do karma for a certain outcome, then if I don't have that desired outcome, then my actions have been wasted. Say you've been training hard to make it into the Wimbledon or you want to make it to the defense forces. There are some things that you'll have to make lifestyle changes in preparing to attain any of these goals. You have to follow a very strict diet. You'll have to give up eating tasty and fatty foods. You'll have to start focusing more and more on your fitness. And you'll have to spend so much of your time preparing yourself for that role. And if for some reason you don't make it, you don't get into that pro tennis league, you're not able to get into your defense uh, forces as you dreamed, then you look at all the effort that you've put in for many, many years and say that all that effort has gone waste. But karma yoga is not like that. It is fundamentally different because of a certain reason. What is that? Because karma itself does not give you moksha or any higher state. As we have seen and we discussed this during the karma yoga part, Karma only prepares the mind. Jnana is not something that can ever be attained through actions. Karma only prepares the mind for receiving that Jnana. And when Karma is performed in the right way, it purifies the mind, it brings Chitta Shuddhi or Antakarna Shuddhi as we've been talking about and that will eventually prepare the mind for Jnana. So though the goal of karma yoga is to achieve jnana, karma itself does not bring jnana directly. And that purity of mind will always be again. Right? When karma is being performed in the form that it has to be performed in, in karma yoga or in fact Swami says even performing duty with a sense of duty. right? You are not even doing it with a sense of yoga 
even doing duty sincerely swami says will lead to chitta shuddhi so when we are talking about being in the path of yoga following these things that chitta shuddhi that is gained that will be real and that cannot be taken away you can lose wealth you can lose authority you can lose your power and position but that chitta shuddhi that is gained is real of course what is clean can also become dirty what is pure can also get maligned but nevertheless that gain is a gain so even in that sense there is no loss for a person who fails in this path because this is an eventual thing that happens over many many lifetimes but then when we explain such things it is based on logic right what i am explaining right now is based on the logic whatever krishna has been telling so far but krishna will say it with authority because he is the bhagavadata he is the one who is giving us what we deserve as we say right we can do the karma but it is being given to us by the lord himself and he is better to tell that if you are talking about chitta shuddhi most important question is does this chitta shuddhi get carried forward because when we are talking about death and birth is that like a reset switch or a factory settings that we see in our gadgets today that is it going to take away all this chitta shuddhi and should i start functioning again from scratch or is there carry forward for this gain that we have had so that is something that we are going to see in the next shloka in the next few shlokas in fact another very interesting uh, thing in this particular shloka is we know the relationship between arjuna and krishna it is one of friends it is one of comrades and it is also one of guru and sishya but guru and sishya in, in a very conditioned manner more or less it's almost like a relationship between equals right that's how the conversation is been going on but interestingly krishna refers to arjuna as tata the word tata actually means father it can also be used to connote son so krishna is referring to arjuna as son and uh, adi shankara in his commentary to this verse he explains what this tata means what is the root for this word tata tannoti tata that's how the word tata is explained which means tata is one in whom one sees oneself that's why this is used for a son as well as a father a father sees his own self being extended in the son also the father sees his youth in the son right and that's why you will always find this the fathers are trying to counsel the uh, children you know when we are kids when we are sons and uh, daughters we will always look at our parents and says oh what did you do when you were young right as though you were like this you behave the way that you are expecting me to behave but that's a very a foolish argument to put forth in front of parents because parents want us to lead a life which is a betterment from the life that they have led they don't want us to make the mistakes that they have made so they are passing on their wisdom but if we say that no no i will make my own mistakes i will fall in the pit i will not believe if you tell me that there is a pit there i will fall in it myself and then i will say that yes there is a pit there that's a very foolish attitude to have but that's a different argument altogether but what i'm saying is a father always sees his own self in the son or he sees the same potential in the son a father who is an ias officer who is a doctor always kind of sees that you know one day you will also come to the position that i am in that is the aspiration of a father 
So when Krishna refers to Arjuna as Tata, as my son, it is like the master seeing his own potential in the disciple. It is like the Lord seeing his own potential in this sadhaka who is trying to reach the state of divinity. So it's a very interesting word. Till now, I think Krishna has not referred to Arjuna in that manner. And this shloka, he says that, Oh, Partha, don't worry. There is not going to be any loss in this life or in the next life for somebody who takes to the path of yoga. And I think this is a very, very reaffirming, very encouraging word that Krishna is saying that the path of spirituality is a no-loss path. You make the best efforts, you're the most successful person, then you gain something that is going to take you to a state where you're not going to crave for anything else, you're not going to have any lacking. So that's the ultimate. But even if you don't get there, even if you have not mastered your mind, even if you have not gained this absolute control over your mind, no problem. There is still gain in this process. And this gain is not merely gain in this worldly sense. As I said, one way is you are definitely doing good karma. So good karma will bring its benefits. As a question that most people ask, that you know, you've taken to this path, it's very difficult especially when some of us decide to stay back in the ashram and work for Swami, people ask, oh, it'll be very difficult. There will be so many issues later. But then the fact is, when you dedicate even few moments to Swami, be sure that those few moments are sublimated. You give one week to Swami, you give one day to Swami, you give one half of your life to Swami. That much what you've given to Swami has been sublimated, right? So at least you have ensured that you have not done any nonsense in that time that you have spent in dedication to Swami. Of course, there are so many ways of looking at this. But the encouraging thing is, don't worry, there is no loss when it comes to this particular path of yoga. But there are some very interesting truths that Krishna is going to reveal in the next few shlokas. And uh, we'll come to that when we come to that. It's already time. I'll uh, probably wind up. And even as I'm winding up, I thought I'll just share a very interesting story that I came across with regard to Gita and with regard to Vairagya. Because Krishna says here, Abhyasa and Vairagya. What is that Vairagya that one has to develop in this path? Is it Vairagya towards other people? Is it Vairagya and a sense of indifference? What is that Vairagya that one has to develop? I believe this is the story from the life of Sant Eknath, one of the great uh, saints from Maharashtra. Apparently, he gets his daughter married to a very learned pundit, master of many scriptures, and he is known for giving discourses on the Gita and the Upanishads and all of that. So, he gets his daughter married to this person, thinking that he's a very noble person. But then it happens that one day his daughter comes to him and starts crying, and she says, that my husband seems to have fallen into bad ways. He leaves home late into the night and he goes into houses of ill repute and uh, no amount of telling him or no amount of showing my displeasure seems to be stopping him. I don't know what to do and I think my life is getting ruined. So Santeknath comes up with a brilliant idea. He one day comes to his daughter's house and starts engaging his son-in-law in a conversation. And uh, then he says, my daughter was telling me the other day that it seems you leave the house late into the night and you come back very late. So immediately the son-in-law gets a little offended and he says, did she complain about me? So are you here to give me an advice or give me a discourse? 
So Santeknath says, no, 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 I'm not here to give you a discourse or anything. See, I understand the plight. See, you're a learned man. You're a master of so many uh, scriptures and all of that. See, your wife is not as wise as you are. Because if she was wise, she will have more detachment towards you. She will have little more vairagya towards you and she will not get disturbed by what you do. But see, she is not as wise as you are. So, I just thought I'll make one request to you. So, the son-in-law says, what is that request? Sandeknath says, every day, whenever you're going out into the night, wherever you go, I mean, I'm not going to stop you, but before you go out, can you explain one shloka from the Gita to your wife and then leave? That's all I want to ask of you. So that, you know, she also develops that vairagya. So this son-in-law of Eknath, he says, all right, I can do that. So the next day onwards, whenever he wants to go out into the night, he calls his wife and he gives her an explanation and a short discourse on one of the shlokas of the Gita, hoping that she will develop vairagya. But even as he is doing this day after day, the discourse that he is giving to his wife begins to percolate into himself and he begins to look at his own actions. He begins to contemplate and scrutinize what he is doing and he realizes what a horrible thing that he has been doing all this while. And then he realizes the vairagya that needs to be developed is the vairagya in himself, the vairagyas towards the vasanas that seem to have developed in him. And that is how he eventually transforms his life. Right? I, I found that story so incredibly beautiful. I would say so incredibly relatable given that I am sitting here week after week and speaking to all of you and explaining verses from the Gita. I don't know how grateful uh, I should be to Swami for giving me this opportunity because even as I'm explaining to you, I'm, I'm really hoping that uh, this explanation also seeps into my mind and cleanses this mind because I don't know about all of you. I can tell that my mind certainly can do with a lot of cleansing. So I'm ever, ever grateful to Swami for giving me this opportunity and I'm ever grateful to each one of you for your company week after week. With that, dear listeners, we'll conclude this week's episode. Join me in offering this episode at Swami's Lotus Feet. I'll meet you all again next week for the resumption of this pilgrimage of the Gita series. This is a triune pilgrimage. Thank you. Till I meet you next time. Keep safe. Take care. Jai Sai Ram.